lovelies, and welcome to another edition of LGBT in the Ring, your rainbow bastion for all things pro wrestling. I am your host, Brian Bell, here with you once again on the Outsports Podcast Network, and we are wrapping up Journalist January today um, on our first episode of February. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so like I said last week, um, Colette Arend is our guest this week. Um, she is a regular contributor over at fanbite.com's wrestling section, Fan Fight, um, as well as having an extensive history writing about pro wrestling um, from a more critical standpoint. You know, she's had work published at Pace Magazine, um, as well as a number of uh, a number of notable wrestling zines as well. She even has a collection of poetry um, all about pro wrestling and, and very somewhat autobiographical, um, from what I understand, called a Hold Me Gorilla Monsoon. So, and of course, you you all know her best for, on this show for coming on and being my uh, my regular partner in dissecting AEW pay-per-views. So this was a nice treat to finally get the chance to talk to Colette about her experiences um, in and around pro wrestling and within pro wrestling media as well. So very excited for this for this conversation, for everyone to hear it. It was a lot of fun to do. Before we get there though, it's been one hell of a week in pro wrestling, if I may say. Um we got a few things to touch on here um real quick before we get to the interview. Most notably uh GCW's Fight Forever Fight Forever show um happened uh, <laughs> just a few days ago. Um featuring Effie's Big Gate Block, which had a number of outstanding matches on there. Um, I have a piece that should be going up on Outsports.com either today or tomorrow, kind of reflecting more on and unpacking some thoughts around that show that I had. But, you know, the main event was great. Had a great story around it. Billy Dixon and Effie coming back together to rectify the sins of the past and give us the first, the real first, big gay street fight. Um, Did not disappoint. You know, Devon Monroe and Dark Sheik uh, killed it. Um, really great seeing Envy Young and the, the the latest evolution in Still Life and Apricots and Pears uh, out there on the show. And then, of course, a few new names to me. Um, Christopher Valentine and Ace Perry. Um, that was, honestly, that was the first time I've seen either of them wrestle. Um, I know Ace has had um, extensive history in the uh, Indianapolis era, area. Um, and I mean, no, most notably him coming out at the end of the show and wanting his soul back from Effie. Apparently Effie took his soul at some point in Bizarro Lucha. So yeah. Um, but, but outstanding all around, um, you know, Jared Evans had a really great match with Christopher Valentine, made me really want to see more of Christopher Valentine's work. And then Ashton Starr and Dylan McQueen, uh, the Gatriarch, um, just went out there and, and had a blast and really got to showcase both of their talents um, in a really um, engaging way. Uh, just the show all around was great, but what was better was seeing that the LGBTQ representation wasn't just limited to the big gay block. You know, we saw um, Solo Darling wrestling in the middle of the night. <laughs> um, you know, Pero and Effie both had death matches on the, on other shows during the the 24-hour marathon. Um, Alley Cat's Real Hot Girl Shit show featured Brooke Valentine and Erica Lee. Um, and of course, you know, Erica, Killing McMurphy, Still Life. Um, 
as well as Molly McCoy and the entire Camp Leapfrog crew just showed out during that Cybernetico match. Um, really awesome to see that format come back. Uh, I've always loved the, those some of those more interesting formatted matches. Um, yeah, and, and it was awesome just to see a, a Cybernetico on this show. It was great. Erica Lee, um, congrats on winning the Cybernetico there. So yeah, all around the show, the, those portions of the show were great. It was nice to see um, you know, talent from the community peppered in um, all over the the event for the most part. Um, yeah, it was just, I really enjoyed it. Um, definitely go check it out. There are free replays up on uh, fight.tv if you didn't um, tune in, and, and they're free. So go definitely go check that out. Um, also, big news, O'Shea Edwards. O'Shea Edwards, friend of the show, the Big Bad Kaiju, is making his Ring of Honor debut. Um, if you haven't seen the, the latest uh, episode of the Ring of Honor's week-by-week show on um, YouTube, definitely check it out. Uh, O'Shea cuts an outstanding promo all about his journey to ROH and um, you know some things that he touched on during our interview here on this show. But you know, no, what else can be said? Congratulations to, to O'Shea Edwards well overdue um, that, that you got this opportunity and, and I know that you're going to do the best that you can with it um, it's going to be great and of course big news out of Butch vs. Gore this week we now know the 8 competitors that will be going for the Cassandra Cup on March 28th um, of course the winner of that tournament not only is crowned the first ever Cassandra Cup winner but also gets a shot at the Independent Wrestling TV Championship and the Paris is bumping championship, um, and so it's a lot of honors to bestow upon one person for for one night. But we know the eight competitors now. It's going to be Erica Lee, AC Mack, Still Life with Apricots and Pears, Molly McCoy, Killian McMurphy, Jared Evans, Ashton Starr, and Joshua Wafra. Um, it's a stacked field, and I cannot wait to see how things play out on March 28th, streaming live on IWTV, actually, on independentwrestling.tv, the Cassandra Cup. Um, well, no brackets. I believe they're announcing brackets on February 15th, and we'll see how things are going to shake out and start prognosticating a little bit over here. Uh, it's always fun. Outside of the LGBTQ uh, purvey, uh, the Royal Rumble also happened, and I know normally we don't... We, we've kind of cut back on covering WWE... Uh, monthly pay-per-views um just somewhat of a personal thing for me i just you know wwe as a company is um i don't know it just doesn't feel like something that i want to talk about a ton all the time but the royal rumble is one of those events that commands attention honestly uh the royal rumble is still my favorite event on their calendar every year and this year's did not disappoint bianca belair my god bianca belair um one of the most emotional moments that I've seen in a while in pro wrestling. It was great. Only, uh, I don't even going to say it was rivaled by, because nothing can top it, really, but or t- even touch it. But um, the re- the reunion of Edge and Christian in the ring during the Men's Royal Rumble was uh, outstanding as well. Carlito came back. Fuck, Carlito came back. Um, I Words. Uh, and, you know, we had some good matches outside of the Rumbles as well. Uh, Kevin Owens and Roman Reigns had a really good 
uh, last man standing match up until um, the uh, the faulty handcuff key, or just I don't know, use prop handcuffs, please. It's not that hard. Um, but yeah, overall the show the show was fun. Uh, it, was, it was really fun. On the other side of the large-scale American pro wrestling spectrum, AEW announced the uh, participants for its Women's World Championship Eliminator Tournament, and um, I'm sure all of you that follow me on Twitter have already seen me just gushing about um, a couple of the people that are being involved in this tournament from the Japanese side of things. Um, of course, I'm talking about Vinny and Maki Ito. Um, Vinny is an outstanding uh, wrestler, part of the LGBTQ community, someone who was going to be on the original lineup of Effie's Big Gay Brunch uh, back in April of last year uh, before the pandemic hit. Um, she is outstanding, and I am over the moon that she is going to be included in this tournament. And I just, I, it's just, that's, I don't have words for it. It's just pure excitement. It's pure joy for me. Same goes for Maki Ito, though. Like, Maki Ito is just one of the most intriguing, uh, interesting, and um, humorous characters that um, I've seen come out of Joshi in a long time. And uh, I know both of them are going to be outstanding. All of the Joshi wrestlers uh, involved in this tournament are outstanding talents. But um, Vinny and, and Maki Ito... Uh, get the gold medal from the announcement standpoint, at least. Um, I can't wait to see the brackets and see how things break down there and see just what routes either of them might have to take to get to the final and face uh, one of the um, currently based in America uh, members of the AEW roster going forward here. Um, and then, of course, last but not least, um, we speak out. Out in the Ring is holding a fundraiser uh, this weekend, Friday, uh, Saturday, excuse me, Saturday, February 6th, and Sunday, uh, February 7th, from noon Eastern to midnight Eastern. There's going to be hourly blocks featuring 80-plus LGBT members of the pro wrestling world, allies, members of the media. Um, there's even some some classic screen queens that are going to be joining in, some filmmakers, um, this will be great, and it's all for a good cause. Uh, we are going to be raising money for uh, Out in the Ring, the documentary's uh, production, as well as for the Matthew Shepard Fund uh, Foundation. Um, it's just, it's the lineup is stacked. I mean, you got people like Effie, MV Young, Reza Clark, um, Danny Jordan. Um, so many, so many amazing talents. Uh, many of them featured on the QWI, by the way, <laughs> um, are going to be on this show. A lot of people from from England: Benjamin Harlan, Jason Joshua, Sky James, Bobby Diamond. Um, just a lot of outstanding names that are going to be featured over the those two days, and I am going to be featured as well. I'm going to be on the Saturday 8 p.m. Eastern block alongside MV Young, Perry Von Vicious, and Reese Indigo. Uh, I'm looking forward to it, and if you want to check it out, um, all you have to do is buy a ticket for $10. That also gets you two entries into the raffle, because on top of all the wrestlers that are going to be joining in on the festivities, there are also a number of wrestlers that are donating items for a, uh, a raffle that will raise money towards Out in the Ring and the Matthew Shepard Foundation. Um, $10 gets you access to the stream as well as two 
um, raffle entries, and then you can buy additional raffle entries um, through the Out in the Ring uh, fundraiser page, which I will link in the description below um, this show here. Um, but if you want to check it out, just go check out Out in the Ring's Twitter page, uh, at Out in the Ring, and join us on twitch.tv slash Out in the Ring on, Friday, on Saturday and Sunday. I have to stop thinking Friday. Always thinking Friday. <laughs> yeah, Saturday and Sunday, this this coming Saturday and Sunday, over at twitch.tv slash Out in the Ring. It's going to be a fun time. I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be it's gonna be sick. Um, that being said, though, I think that's all the news for this week. That's a It's a lot <laughs> to unpack here ahead of a two-hour interview. Another two-hour interview, but it's well worth every minute. Um, so enjoy my conversation with Fanbytes' Colette Aaron. What's up, guys, gals, and non-binary pals? Welcome back to LGBT in the ring. And we close out Journalist January, which technically has extended into February, whenever this episode will release, um, with someone who is very familiar to listeners of the show. She regularly comes on to discuss uh, AEW pay-per-views. Um, but today we are going to discuss her work as a, uh, as a wrestling uh critic columnist however you want to define her um but she also has a, a couple of collections of poetry including one named after um or at least bearing the namesake of gorilla monsoon hold me gorilla monsoon if i rem- i don't know if i got that title correct i feel bad if i didn't <laughs> that's the right title hooray from fanbite colette aaron is on the Hello. show today how you doing colette i'm doing just fine how about yourself I am doing well. I'm doing good. I felt nervous about almost butchering the name of your poetry collection there. So, <laughs> well, you got the poetry collection right, and you got the last name right, so that's two for two. Um, Dope. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm ex- I'm excited to have you on for for this sort of a discussion because obviously, you know, like I said, normally whenever you're on, we're talking about a W pay per views or. You know, the only other time that you've been on previous to that was whenever we talked about Nyla Rose winning the the women's world title there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of what I wanted to do with this this kind of theme month was to kind of get to know some of the people behind uh, the coverage that we've seen from pro wrestling. And you've done a lot of outstanding work uh, over at Fanbyte. You know, you have your your weekly uh, pieces that go up that really go, or go in depth on different topics in, in wrestling culture. Um, in a lot of ways. And I don't know, I just, I, you seem like someone who would be really interesting to, to pick their mind over a lot of stuff and really learn how much their connection to pro wrestling, uh, how deep it really goes. <laughs> well, I hope, I hope that I live up to that. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, I've, 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 um, I've been watching wrestling for a while uh, and I've, you know, traveled through a lot of different permutations of it. And I've also, you know, been, through like art school and academia and all that other stuff so like I, I feel like I have a lot of different like lenses through which I look at wrestling um and you know like it's it's something where um I've been watching I think since I was like four years old um I took a couple of breaks um because you know like I, I feel like when you're actually at the raw where Kane and Triple H have a casket match over accusations of sleeping with a corpse uh, it's a it's a good idea to take a break, <laughs> um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know, like I was I was there as uh, as they say, uh, but um, 
like you know i've i've been consistently uh engaging with wrestling for like pretty much the bulk of my conscious life so um yeah and i'm still finding new ways i think to to do it so yeah i am uh, i am absolutely up to talk about some of that rad well i you know normally with with these conversations we start from the beginning like where you came to wrestling but you just dropped a bomb on me in the fact that you were live in the building for like the katie vick era stuff yeah. so i'm just we'll, we'll get to like four-year-old colette coming to, to pro wrestling but I'm, I'm curious to hear like what was what was that experience like to be in the building with the casket match surrounding the katie vick stuff not good um yeah. <laughs> i mean like the it's it's one of those things where like i don't i don't remember a lot of it um just because like you know i was still young at the time and I think that my my passion for wrestling was like naturally waning like I was a WCW kid um, and like WCW regardless of whatever you think of like the invasion or whatever like WCW died like in March 2001 it was over like I thought WrestleMania X7 was great I kind of I did stick around for the invasion angle because you know like Rob Van Dam came into wwe and i thought rob van dam was like the coolest thing of all time like i remember ordering uh like the most random pay-per-view i think it was like king of the ring 2001 or 2002 like whichever one had like the triple threat match against like kurt angle steve austin and and rob van dam which i haven't seen in a while but in my heart that's still a banger um like you know that's that's such a weird combination of people and like the invasion angle had like a lot of like interesting character work and like short matches and all that but once it was over like it fell apart um like the whole thing did like the the ruthless aggression era uh you know it, it started off you know hot and heavy with stuff like uh hot lesbian action and and gay marriage angles and all that other stuff and like i was really coming into my own like you know, I, I was closeted, like, but, you know, I was queer, uh, like, and uh, even if you don't really have kind of the language for it, uh, you can recognize when, like, society has, like, a certain idea of, like, the violence with which it would like to visit upon you, uh, and wrestling was really, really heavy with that at the time, um, and so it wasn't even necessarily, like, Kane versus Katie Vick, like, I've, I've stuck around through worse like you know I've, I've seen worse storylines um you know there's arguably been worse storylines over like the last five years um though none of them are coming to my head as soon as I said that um but you know like they're like bad storylines are, are a dime a dozen like you know you can you can go back as far as the 70s and find similarly tasteless angles um but I think that like that era was where WWE like really, really lost its way. I wrote about that a little bit um, this past week when um, I, I wrote an article about how like Vince McMahon was simultaneously WWE's best and worst character. Um, like it's really easy to like watch some stuff in isolation, like the Vince McMahon, Shane McMahon match from like WrestleMania X7 on its own is crazy. Cause like, here's like the CEO of like the only wrestling company, uh, like bleeding buckets. And like, here's this kid who's like not a trained wrestler doing like, you know, rope to rope drop kicks and like all this other crazy stuff. But then when you put the context of the television around it, 
there's a millionaire owner like abusing his like you know hottest woman in the world uh like employee uh after being in like a torrid affair with her which was also terrible while abusing his wife while like you know abusing his son like and it's 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 hard to watch like it's hard to watch and it just kept getting harder and harder to watch so I feel like it was almost a coincidence because the angle where Triple H has like fake sex with like a corpse in a funeral home which is a hilarious story like I guess kind of like I think Triple H is exaggerating when he says that there was a funeral happening in another room because like my sister's a funeral director and like while I can imagine a funeral home being like yeah you can you can do that for money like blah 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 they would never ever ever book something like that to happen at the same time as like a funeral but like you know Vince McMahon being in the room telling his future son-in-law to like make it more convincing I guess that's funny but like it sucks and you can only see so much wrestling that sucks before you start to look for other things and that's what I did like I started getting more and more into like movies and um like that's kind of where my interests lie for a long time um when I started writing on the internet uh it was as a movie blogger um this was like a couple years later like when I got into college um and that was like really like the first actual criticism that I started to write was like film criticism and I would go you know the same way that like people watch 15 hours of wrestling a week now or however long like many hours it is like I would go see three movies a week like I would try to see every major release I would try to see as many indie releases as what came through Cincinnati which is where I was at for my undergraduate program uh and I tried to write about every single one of them um and uh that's kind of kind of how I got started like critically speaking but um I think a lot of that was just because I I stopped caring about wrestling because it gave me nothing to care about pro wrestling especially post the death of WCW um really did produce a lot of of content and and ideas that could easily push away a number of people uh last week's show we we talked to Dave Bradshaw over in the UK and we had a got into a pretty in-depth discussion about the Billy and Chuck angle and the uh detriment that that brought because of you know basically WWE um like swerving for to use wrestling parlance uh glad and that whole situation and all the different ways that the Billy and Chuck were were characterized and derided and how like the content there like really kind of played up for the fans to join in that derision in a, in a lot of ways. Um, but going back even further to, to 2001, I believe that segment you were talking about with, uh, with Vincent manager Stratus um, in the ring was really the first time that I had that sort of break um, with, with what I was watching. Um, granted part of it was because my, my mom also saw that and, quickly put the kibosh on some shit um. yeah. no that's uh i'm glad that i had a tv in my in my bedroom like a really small one because uh if my mom actually saw any of the stuff that was happening on on wrestling that would have been that would have been it with the swiftness oh yeah no my mom loved it whenever Shawn michaels was around because like she like had a crush on him but the minute that you see like tristratus like when i'm in the mop bucket and just all the oh god 
um like that was really the first like break break for me too was just like um what exactly am i consuming here what am i being told mm-hmm. um and it's like going back and and reading your your piece on like the the juxtaposition of Vince McMahon, the character versus Vince McMahon, WWE chairman, like it, it really puts a lot of stuff into, into perspective in terms of like how um, the programming was, was came, came across in the audiences that it played to and just how like, I guess light some of the messaging um, that the programming had really felt to the people that were making it. Yeah. In a way. Yeah, like I and I can't fault anybody for for um, taking a step back after seeing some of that stuff. And especially, God, every time I hear hot lesbian action, I just like cringe <laughs> deep in my soul. Yeah, it's just so bad. It's it's terrible. There was no purpose to it, and it it like it really only gets worse. Like the diva search era, and like you know, with, with what came out recently about, like, the Lita and Edge, like, live sex celebration thing, um, which, like, when you think about it, like, when people say that they wish WWE would go back to the way things were, like, the TV 14 era, I don't think that they mean, like, 1997, like, compelling attitude era stuff. I think that they mean, like, 2006 live celebration era, because, like, that's what their wrestling like that's what their wrestling when they were like a kid was like the same way that you think like oh yeah like the best music I ever heard was like the stuff that I was into in college like it's like yeah the best wrestling is the stuff that I saw when I was like a teenager and that was it and like people are kind of fooling themselves if they think that you know what they mean is like classic like Austin 316 era stuff um which is, you know, I think that's like kind of an important thing for people to recognize, like where it's like, yeah, no, like some of that stuff was good. Like, I, I think that Edge was a fantastic character in 2006, like, uh, like a, a world beating heel. Like, so like his ladder match against Ric Flair is, is astonishing. Like the fact that either of them did that uh, is crazy to me. Um, but again, like people people do this thing where they like the same way that they choose to separate the art from the artist they really do kind of like the the wheat separated from the chaff of like wrestling you know so long as the match is good the storyline that leads up to it is completely excusable um but that's not true like and there's also the fact that like around that are a million other storylines like you know, Billy and Chuck wasn't quite SmackDown 6 era, uh, you know, SmackDown, but it was really close. Uh, and you have to deal with the fact that that happened and so many people don't. And like the consequence of that is like, you know, I find it fascinating that WWE works with Glad because, you know, in 2003, WWE was extremely proud of how they fooled Glad into congratulating two of their characters uh, for for getting a civil union to the extent that they gave them a crystal gravy boat, which like, you know, if I ever got to go in the WWE warehouse, that's what I would look for. Yes. That's what I want to see is the gravy boat <laughs> from the wedding reception that never happened. Uh, 
or like I, I guess I, I want to rewatch that angle too to see if they actually paid to license its raining men uh, for the ceremony. <laughs> like on oh, the on the um, like because like again like that's the kind of thing that I think like a a straight or cis or like you know straight cis white dudes kind of forget how terrible wrestling is to literally everyone outside of that box. Um, like it's getting better slowly, but, um, like, like, again, like I, I started watching wrestling when I was four, uh, I make, uh, you know, part of my living is covering it as a 32 year old. Um, but in the middle of that, I was pushed completely out by, you know, the homophobia in mainstream wrestling to say nothing of like the homophobia in indie wrestling. Like I couldn't get into indie wrestling because like the, it was just one of those things where like people were chanting gay slurs and there were like characters that were way skeezier so far as, you know, queer quote unquote representation was concerned and they were getting the crap kicked out of them. Like one of the first major angles uh, that Ring of Honor did like on their first show uh was having why did i forget like the name of the team all of a sudden it doesn't really matter but like uh this like beloved like you know northeast indie like jersey like tag team two heavy dudes just completely kicked the crap out of the christopher street connection um which was you know ostensibly a gay tag team uh and everyone ate it up uh and the commentary uh at the time was like two dudes who may as well have been drunk if they weren't drunk, like screaming about how like these, these people like were getting, like they were disgusting and it was good getting the crap kicked out of them. And it's like, where in wrestling is there a space for people like me? Um, and like the answer is that there isn't uh, at least so far as like officially, like, you know, promotions can, claim all they want that they're trying to make space for us um but they're not like they like they don't know how to do it because most of them are run by straight white dudes so like there's no codes of conduct there's you know no repercussions for wrestlers saying anything like i um just saw uh like you know the uh the alley cat block of GCW's upcoming fight forever show, uh, was sponsored by somebody who was a proud boy. Uh, like, and the reason why they didn't catch that is because they didn't care to check. Um, and when a bunch of people like commented on it, like they were removed and like the sponsor was removed and they found a new sponsor called wrestling is gay. I don't know what that is because I'm I'm very bad at like looking at like fan movements and stuff like that, but like honestly, it's it's a little insulting. Like you know, uh, GCW like this is not the first time GCW has been in trouble uh, for <laughs> like its associations with uh, not associations. That's the wrong word um, for like you know the kind of hangers on the scene uh, who like have questionable whatever um like beliefs or affiliations and all this other stuff and like you know they say that they're trying to address it which is you know what they said in the aftermath of the article i wrote about schlack uh last summer but 
like they could have found out about this guy by just searching on his Instagram account where he was posting screen caps of like Gavin McInnes, uh, like parlor account posts, like, but they don't even do that. So like what happens is you have like, you know, the community of people who watch wrestling and then apart from that, like involved, but separate is like the community of people who wrestling actively harms who still love it for some reason and i belong to that group uh and i suspect i always will uh because you know making wrestling change meaningfully uh is a very long-term project with uh no (laughs) specific uh like you know there's no there's no like obvious path forward uh, and it hurts, but, you know, I, I lit wrestling, talked me out of it once. Uh, and I, I don't know if it's unfortunate, uh, but I love it too much to let that happen again. Like I, I want it to be better for everyone. Um, and, uh, like that's an attitude that I, I have tried to bring to my work within and without it. Um, and like, that's, uh, like, I think something that, that really has its roots in like, you know, I, I was gone from wrestling from like 2003 to really 2006. Like I watched ECW one night stand. Um, but I didn't get back into it like on a full-time basis until one night stand too. Um, and yeah, like a lot of that was, was just like how hurt I felt as like a closeted young, like queer person um like just seeing <laughs> various images of myself like get demeaned on a weekly basis and i i feel like that's something that like a lot of people who enjoy wrestling have gone through like at various points in time uh for sure i mean just look at like any marginalized group in pro wrestling has as you know experienced treatment like that um in the programming and to to specifically what you were talking about with with Alicat's show like i i was on the other side of the coin like i did not realize that this whole controversy had gone down earlier today i'd have my i've had my head in the sand all day trying to work on stuff but (laughs) um but also like as soon as i popped up i saw that the sponsor had changed to wrestling is gay which is is a is a a merchandise brand that that's has some relation to effie that was recently launched Mm-hmm. Um, so like, it makes total sense. Alley Cat and Effie are super tight, like th- that Effie would swoop in and, and, and be, or at least in some way sponsor the block after everything that went down. But I did not realize that the sponsor had been removed because he had been found out to be a proud boy. So yeah, like that's n- like, especially after all the stuff around, around Slack. Um, there's which, never an acknowledgement of it though. Like, yeah. you know, I, it, it is what it is. Like, I don't know, you know, the, um, the new tweet says, attention, uh, re real hot girl shit and fight forever. We changed the sponsor of my event. Thanks to those who reached out, new graphics. That's it. Like that's the acknowledgement of, of what happened. Um, and there's like responses to the tweet. People essentially like talking about it. Uh, also, I'd like, like some, um, someone responded, I'm very glad the Proud Boy lost his wrestling block. And then also I'd like GCW to do more vetting to protect their LGBT talent from inadvertently advertising for Proud Boys. Um, So like, you know, it's one of those things where like the more often this happens, uh, the more people notice, I guess. Uh, 
but like it just it it sucks uh that like you know they've had the opportunity like there was a massive discussion about it like in the aftermath of my article um that like you know thankfully was like kind of separated and put aside from the article itself because like I didn't want to be tagged or notified about the entire thing um where like you know a lot of promises were made about how they were going to do better by like you know fans and talent and all this other stuff and like it kind of sucks to see that fall through um you know like a better job does need to be done but at like at what point do we admit that the people who need to be doing a better job aren't doing a good job at like you know aren't doing a good job of improving like their own sense of like what is and isn't you know ethical or protecting people or whatever um because it's not just the talent like the talent i guess is is definitely paramount um though it's not like the sponsor of the show is going to be like there <laughs> um like maybe they would but like sponsoring a wrestling show doesn't give you any special access to like backstage or anything like that like but it does send a message to fans uh and like that's that's something that i think has been something that wrestling promotions have struggled with um in large part because social media has given fans more voice in in this process than they've ever had before and while it's really easy to ignore that if you're like, you know, a billion dollar company on television, um, it's harder to do that if every $30 transaction is the difference between, you know, the company living and dying. Um, so yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't know kind of where we go from here. Um, I'm, I'm glad that, you know, that the sponsorship thing got changed uh i would i would love for them to be for there to be like kind of an acknowledgement because like now i guess now that i know that it's a clothing line that has something to do with effie it's like less of like a whatever but like just visually speaking to go from proud boy to something called wrestling is gay eh. it's a it's <laughs> like, a bit of a turn yeah so yeah yeah no i mean and, and i'm with you on on all those points like just the like just the first thing that that you should that should be done whenever something like this happens is just openly acknowledge the problem like like just say like hey we didn't realize that this was this we didn't do vetting on the different note on like further inspection we we saw that and just be up front with the people that are giving because the thing especially with fight forever is that like this is all there it's basically a uh like a, a fundraiser it's it's a, like they're they have an indiegogo that people are donating to to pay the wrestlers that are going to be on the show yeah and like if people like if this like they're driving so much money from from fans to support this show and support the people that are on it the least they could do is be up front whenever they make a mistake like this so people don't question like who they're giving their money to and even have... though like it, it sorry go ahead Oh, I mean, like the thing about GCW too is that they have like an extremely forgiving fan base. Yeah, like you know that the the tweet that I just read where the person was just asking GCW to do a better job, but like that's going to be the extent of the request that gets made of GCW. Like, and that's an extremely fair thing to ask, and it's honestly not a very difficult thing to follow through on. Like, again, it's just like 
you know, I remember when the initial controversy about Schlack broke out, which was because Gabe Sapolsky booked him for WWN style battle. And like the thing that Gabe said when he unbooked Schlack was that he didn't Google him first. And it's like, dude, that's just a th- like, it's like bare minimum. Yeah. Like all you got to do is type Schlack and like his whole history pops up because he has a history in like punk music, like underground hardcore stuff. Um, or like whatever genre was um like it's there like you all you have to like how do you not research somebody like that'd be like and, and i know a lot of promoters actually don't research anybody like they they book people based on like gifts anymore um <laughs> which is which is another thing but um like if you're running a business of any kind like that like you know a performance a performance art let's say um and and the thing that you say in defense of of you screwing up is whoops forgot to google someone or didn't look up this guy's instagram profile that's unfortunate like it's like what are you doing like that's that's like 101 stuff like you know that's like when people go like put their twitter account on lock before applying for jobs like there's a reason for that and like you know the reason is the company shouldn't be spying on people's social media accounts in the first place but like if if a random like if any random person on twitter knows enough that they need to lock their account before a company searches for them maybe as a wrestling company you should do searches on the talent and sponsors that you're bringing into your show like it's not hard um it's part of being a professional entity and you know i don't know like i i feel like that's that's one of the struggles that we're having uh in wrestling right now is that like companies like indie promotions in particular want the trappings of legitimacy without any of the work that goes into it yeah like that's 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 pretty much like kind of where i stand on it and um you know it it would be possible to ask for help but so few of them seem to want to and i i don't really know like where where to go from that except to say you know again um that it has a consequence. Like I stopped watching indie wrestling uh, and indie wrestling was extremely like close to my like heart and my identity. Like I, I was an announcer for a while for AIW um, and, you know, I, I still love AIW and I, you know, love and love the people that I met there and value the relationships that I had. And, you know, a lot of the, the, the things that I learned, but, um like i i don't i don't care to watch indie wrestling anymore like i just i can't do it like between uh the the ethics of running a show during a pandemic and like things like this it's just like you know my my life as a fan and as a person uh would be a lot less complicated if i just stopped like if i just didn't watch it um essentially like I, I think when I first got hired uh, to Fanbyte, I covered one indie wrestling show, uh, two if you count the piece that I did about um, Shotzi Blackheart getting signed at Evolve because I was at the show that she got signed at. Um, like I covered the first episode of like season two of uh, Beyond Wrestling's Uncharted Territory. And like, I really wanted to be like, you know, the quote unquote, like mainstream, like, you know, on a platform with like promotion and all that kind of stuff person who like 
talked about indie wrestling and it became untenable. Um, and that sucks. Like, cause I, I still think that there's a lot of good people doing good work there. Um, but I like to a certain extent, I don't feel good about covering it right now, like let alone watching it. Um, so yeah, like that's, that's kind of the consequence of this sort of thing is like, people want the indies to grow. Um, but the indies don't make the like necessary effort to evolve along with like the growth that they're seeking. Um, has consequences, I think. No, it, it surely does. And and I'm I'm actually curious, like before we move off of, of indie wrestling a little bit here, um, I'm curious to get your take. Um, because the past couple of years we've seen a number of uh you know promotions or even like full on like I guess for lack of a better term, um companies now that have been trying to um, cater more towards like specifically the LGBTQ community, you know, like obviously it didn't like Butch versus Gore didn't start as its own thing, but you know, it started with Primetime Pro um, before you know its demise. But mm-hmm. like you've seen like Butch versus Gore put uh, put out stuff over the past um, year that's been interesting, and then and even during the the pandemic. Um, companies like Pride Championship Wrestling down in Texas. Like, what's it been like? What's been uh, your take on like seeing some of the more um, LGBTQ centric indies pop up that have uh, um, the uh, the backing uh, or leadership rather from people in the LGBTQ community? Uncanny Attractions, another one that pops Uncanny up. Uncanny Attractions, yeah. yeah. I mean, I I like personally, I think it's it's good. Like. You know, a lot of those promotions are are run by and obviously like book primarily like queer wrestlers and also, you know, wrestlers who aren't queer. Like, so you'll you'll have a show that's like run by a queer person where, you know, like straight and gay wrestlers get to wrestle in an environment that is like caters to queer people. And I think that that's like a different way of looking at wrestling that is extremely valuable. Um you know, uh, Hood Slam has a number of, of trans wrestlers. They don't make a big deal out of it. Like, I don't think that the point of Hood Slam is that they are like, you know, queer or anything like that. Like they're just putting on like a comedy wrestling show. I like, it's one of those things where I like, I feel like this is always like, uh, this is something that exists in like a lot of subcultures. Like, you know, there's hardcore well, I shouldn't talk about hardcore stuff. Uh, I don't know anything about it, but like, you know, there's like scenes in music and then there's like the queer bands within that scene who have like their own crowd and their own way of doing stuff. Um, Same with, you know, poetry, like, or literature, like there's indie lit and then there's indie lit that is, you know, kind of underground, but like is like trans novels and poetry and all this other stuff like get published and supported and, you know, it's a different way of approaching like this kind of monolithic thing that like people have conceptions of. Um, Like, you know, the preconception of professional wrestling is straight white hillbilly male uh, soap opera stuff. The value of something like Uncanny Attractions, like the value of something like that or like Pride or, or any like, you know, queer themed or run or organized wrestling thing is that like it undermines that perception of wrestling um which i think is extremely valuable because 
you know, we've been here watching, participating in, uh, writing, producing, uh, announcing, ring announcing, like, you know, every aspect of professional wrestling has had a queer presence for as long as professional wrestling has been a thing. Uh, and I think that promotions like that are, are like a means of like, kind of like staking a claim and like saying it like outright out loud, like this is who we are and this is what we love. And like, I, I think that there's a tremendous benefit to it. Um, I would love for there to be the same kind of focus on it uh, and like distribution of it uh, that there is for other like kinds of wrestling promotions that exist. Um, but that's, you know, that's difficult. Like that's a hard thing to procure. Uh, there's not a lot of options for like indie wrestling stuff. So, you know, like you're kind of stuck with like how good you are promoting it yourself. Like, unless you're on like independent wrestling.tv or something like that. Um, but like, I do think that those promotions have given queer wrestlers space uh, to find their own identity, like without having to feel like they have to modulate it for a um, like straight crowd. Um, and, you know, I, I think that that's commendable and I, I really appreciate that it does exist. And I am glad that the scene is flourishing a little bit, obviously. Yeah, no, I mean, and it, it definitely is. And, you know, hopefully we've got more stuff coming down the pipeline from, from some of those places too. So hopefully it just keeps getting bigger and, and better um, in that way. I want to go back to uh, the beginning because, um, you know, <laughs> obviously you said well, we're going to get there eventually. Yeah. <laughs> you know, obviously you, you uh, fell into uh, watching wrestling when you were four years old, WCW, uh, born and bred um what was the initial draw for you like and I, I granted four years old that's probably not a lot of memories that last yeah. but like what's what's the earliest memory that you can think of that kind of like drew you to pro wrestling as an art form well when i was four it was like you know something that like the babysitter put on tv like she had like the same four like pre-recorded vhs tapes uh of like you know wrestlemania four was one of them um and like, I forget which one, but like, there was like, I think she had like a Bret Hart tape too. Mm -hmm. um, so like, it was Bret Hart. Um, like I have, I have always loved Bret Hart. Uh, like he's, he's my man. Uh, and like Macho Man Randy Savage. And like, essentially like when you're, when you're four, like, you know, those were my cartoons essentially. Like I watched cartoons too, like, you know, Voltron and whatever was in like syndication and stuff like that. But like, wrestling was more dynamic i think like somehow um the characters spoke to me on a different level like for one they all had different voices like you know panthro doesn't really speak in anything other than like a, a heroish mon monotone whereas like macho man randy savage like he growls and he gets intense and he gets quiet and he gets loud and like there's there's really like something to that um i think like when your attention span uh is super super tiny um like you know it has a way of like drawing you into it and like you know i loved hulk hogan and everyone that you were supposed to love um 
and like it made me really sad when uh eventually i watched like wrestlemania 5 and found out that randy savage and hulk hogan weren't friends but i sided with hulk hogan <laughs> and i sided with the ultimate warrior but it's like yeah like you know he's like hulk hogan's fine but like these other dudes are like more colorful and more fun and um then like from there um you just couldn't escape wrestling. Like, you know, by the time 1997 came around, I was like nine years old and, uh, you know, the NWO was a thing. So like people were just talking about Nitro and uh, it was a, it was a thing that people liked at school. Um, Like every, every boy at school loved wrestling. Uh, Like I was the biggest kid. So like my role on the playground was to like choke slam people um like off the monkey bars and stuff like that uh and like it was like it was just a thing like all of us watched wrestling all of us loved wrestling all of us had uh, a collection of like wrestling figures and I was the dork who had like the notepad uh where like I would like lay out like 32 person like tournaments and like entire title histories for you know, the, the title belts and whatnot, like, and it was always a thing where, um, I don't know, like it, it kind of fed into my like curiosity about storytelling, I guess. Cause like the other thing that I was really interested in at that time was like star Wars. Um, but not like the movies, like not just the movies. Cause like the movies got reissued in like their 3d form, uh, or their like recut form in like 97 as well um but like as soon as i saw those i was like i need more star wars and it was like two years until episode one came out which you know i loved at the time because i was 11 um so what i started doing was reading every star trek not or star wars novel that was at the library and there were like 80 of them because star wars had a history of novels stretching back to like you know i think (laughs) a year after the first movie came out um so i was always like into like moving parts and like things that you couldn't see um and like you know there were wrestling magazines on the newsstand at the time uh like at least pro wrestling illustrated and then like the company official ones but like you know my walls were covered in like the pinups uh from those magazines and it didn't matter who it was either like you know i had uh you know Sonny and Sable and all the other people that like you were supposed to have up on your wall but like I also had like Scott Norton and stuff like that like I oh. was not picky like Scott I just Norton's like legit, though. yeah he's amazing <laughs> but like what what seven eight or nine year old is like you know uh Scott Flash Norton super fan like you know I when like the like I guess the other thing that happened at that time too was like um my, my mom and dad divorced when I was like three. Um, and my dad was like a very kind of like silent person. Uh, like we would go over to, my sister and I would go over to his house on like the weekends and just like straight up not do anything. So like my mom was like doing the work of like trying to find common ground between the two of us. And like, that was like wrestling. So like she would buy tickets for her ex-husband and her son to go watch like you know wcw or wwf or like whatever was in town and it didn't matter um so you know like 1998 came around and like i was at the palace of auburn hills like watching hogan and sting in a cage um like that that sort of thing like i went to raw i went to nitro i went to pay-per-views i went to world war three 
Um, just because it was like something that like my dad and I could do where like I was going to enjoy it regardless of like what my dad like did or didn't do that weekend. It was also a means of escape for me. Um, Cause like, you know, I don't have any particularly fond memories of like the weekends where I would go to my dad's house outside of like, Oh, it's Saturday. And the expectation is that I will go into the other room and watch WCW Saturday night for two hours uninterrupted. It was like two hours where I didn't have to deal with them. And I did not watch Saturday night at home. Um, Cause you know, it was a B show. Um, and I, like I watched nitro. Um, but like, that was kind of an instance where like that led to me getting interested in like, you know, not to the point where I would pursue like finding it, like the actual like Mexican television shows, but like Saturday night was where all the luchadors had actual matches. It was where like Lord Steven Regal like defended the TV title. Um, like, you know, Lex Luger would often like rack like 350 pound dudes, like DDP would wrestle feature matches. Like Eddie Guerrero was on it. Dean Malenko was on it. Like all of these people. So like, I was like, you know, gaining a kind of, um, love, I guess, of like technical wrestling, uh, as at a really young age, um, just because that's what I had, like, you know, I, like it was on TV, uh, from 6.05 to 8.05 and it was totally fine for me to just disappear and watch that on my own. Um, so like, you know, it didn't matter that there weren't any like Macho Man Randy Savage matches or whatever. Like it was, it was literally a means of escape, not like, you know, oh, well, I read this book and I'm like taken to another world. It's like, oh, I'm watching this television show and I do not have to deal with like the bullshit that's happening in the other room. Um, so yeah, like that's, that's kind of like the, the beginning. And I guess like where I like really, you know, by osmosis more than anything else kind of started getting an appreciation uh, for like what quote unquote, like, you know, good wrestling was even though again like i love bret hart when i was young but i think that was because he wore pink and black and like that's an amazing color combination uh and then it turns out that he was he he truly was like astonishing anyhow um but yeah that's that's kind of like the beginning for me is um is that like just like you know this is like literally an escape from something that uh, I did not have the ability to like really process or work through on my own at the time. Hmm. Do you feel like pro wrestling kind of representing that escape for you, maybe like heightened those, those uh, feelings whenever you felt betrayed by what, um, what the programming was, to, was displaying and the messages that it had later on, whenever you had your like kind of falling out with it? Yeah, um, I think so. I mean, it sucks when you find out that like the stuff you like doesn't necessarily like you, um, like yeah. just in general. Um, but yeah, like I had a I had a really really strong attachment to it. Um, I think that it that falling out with wrestling kind of saved me in a way, though, because like you know by the time you're in high school, like it's not cool anymore. <laughs> um, so I didn't even have to tell anybody that I was into wrestling because I just straight up wasn't like no one knew uh, that this was a big thing for me. Like all the pinups came down uh, from my wall. Like, you know, I, I got into music a little bit because like Detroit had a burgeoning uh, garage rock scene, like the white stripes were coming up and all that other stuff. And like, 
I, it just, it didn't feel important or special or anything. And like, nobody, I feel like nobody really knew until I like went to like, you know, towards the end of high school, um, I was working at a comic book shop and, uh, yeah, like 2005 would have been like one night stand and like 2006 would have been like, I went to college in August of that year. But like before that, like, you know, people started like coming into the comic book store talking about how great wrestling was blah 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 so like I went to like Buffalo Wild Wings with them to see what was happening in wrestling and uh you know I think uh ECW One Night Stand 2 was one thing but the the real thing of it was uh John Cena versus the great Kali. <laughs> um, <laughs> like that's, that's what brought me back was John Cena and the great Kali. Um, uh, big match, John. Uh, Cause like, it was, it was like this, it was, it was exactly what I loved when I was a kid. It was like a, a very talented wrestler and a big slab of immovable meat. Uh, but I was old enough to like kind of recognize the craft of it. And like, you know, when you're in a Buffalo Wild Wings uh, in like 2006, a, a WWE blast zone, if you will, if you remember that phrase, oh, uh, like the thing about it is that those people have created a space where they are completely unashamed to act a damn fool. And like, I had never in my life seen anything quite like a bar full of people chanting John Cena sucks in in tune and in rhythm to his theme song and I was like man like these people eating chicken wings hate this guy so fucking much I can't wait to see him do shit and it turned out that he was fantastic and it also turned out that at college we got cable for free uh which means that I just started watching it again uh you know like it's it's easy to to watch raw when you don't have to pay for cable um (laughs) like yeah like but Yes, like I, I, I do feel like um, that's like a very tangential uh, thing, but like, yeah, no, that is that is exactly like, you know, this thing that I loved, like, you know, I wouldn't quite call it betrayal, like, cause like, you know, I don't want to get too attached to anything like that. Like if I needed to, I could walk away from wrestling tomorrow. Yeah. Um, and I, I think that that's the healthiest kind of relationship to have with, with anything as a fan is like, yeah, if this thing, if this thing sucks, or if it turns out like, you know, uh, <laughs> like a photo service of like Gene Roddenberry at, you know, a KKK rally, like I'm done with Star Trek, peace out, bye. Like uh, that would not happen. Uh, <laughs> uh, you know, I hope that I'm not calling forth some horrible <laughs> hidden history or whatever um but yeah like i i really do feel like um at the time like that was part of it for me was it's like oh like this this was something that like i held on to uh to kind of like maneuver through like difficult stuff in my life and it turns out that it's choosing to be difficult like that hurts and I honestly never thought that i would i would watch wrestling again at the time like i was like this is stupid i hate it um, it hates me, uh, and I don't need things that hate me in my life right now, uh, or ever. <laughs> um, but yeah, like it, it, it very seriously like did kind of affect my my relationship with wrestling at the time for sure. Mm. It's interesting that you bring up 
like you're kind of coming back to pro wrestling through like going to a Buffalo Wild Wings because <laughs> I have I have had that experience m- many times um, myself and it's always an, a very interesting environment to watch pro wrestling in like back when I lived in Atlanta you know before the 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 network came about you know I was poor I wasn't paying for pay per views and like yeah. getting a table at Buffalo Wild Wings was the only option really that I had. And, but it slowly became its own like ecosystem in a way. And it like, it very much took on like this, not necessarily like, I won't go so far as to say a welcoming environment because I don't, I mean, many environments in pro wrestling aren't at least at that time were, were not super welcoming um, uh, uh, below the surface really. But I don't know. It, 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 it felt like it was a, a community in a way. Um, I just remember like watching Royal Rumbles at the Buffalo Wild Wings and just oh. hearing everyone chanting in unison, counting down, and then just the ginormous pops at like the the surprise entrance. Everything. Yeah, mm-hmm. like I, like when, whenever Nash came back as Diesel, like that was probably the loudest I've ever heard a Buffalo Wild Wings get. Yeah. Cause, cause Kevin Nash is the best of all time. Hell yeah! <laughs> um, and everyone turned on him later that summer just because they love CM Punk. But nah, <laughs> Big Daddy Cool. Um, yeah, like the I think I think the thing about environments like that, and I think that one of the things about wrestling that, like, just in general, I I really love that like you don't necessarily get like from other forms of live entertainment is that it's fun to watch other people have fun. Mm. Like, you know, it's infectious. Um, Like, you know, I just went to a Buffalo Wild Wings with some friends who were like, yeah, we're going to watch wrestling, but like, you know, there's chicken wings. Uh, I was like, all right, cool. Like, uh, and if it wasn't for the way that they reacted to John Cena, like I would have, I just straight up, like probably wouldn't have gotten into it. Cause it's like, all right, cool. Like this is exactly like everything that I'm, I, remember but worse (laughs) um until until you realize like oh like no like these people are are flipping the fuck out like and it's it's fun like and i missed that part of it um generally speaking like you know that happens at like shows like you know uh oh for sure like you know music in particular but it's different like it's different because like wrestling is one of those kind of setups where you are not just watching like the ring, but because of the way that the arena is set up and really because of the way the Buffalo Wild Wings are set up, you're watching other people react to what's happening. It's in that, like, that's like sports, like, you know, like you see a hockey game or a basketball game or something like that. Like you're watching and reacting along with other people. Um, but like, you know, wrestling has like the the added or diminished, depending on what kind of person you are, like attraction of being like, you know, a narrative story. <laughs> like it just is a narrative story. Like you're not adding a narrative like, you know, in, in the mid 2000s when the Detroit Pistons were going to the world championships, like, you know, or uh, the NBA finals. Uh, or like you know even the eastern conference finals or whatever like the announcers would always like lay it on real thick about what it would mean for the city of detroit to have a championship uh basketball team and like that's an added narrative like the people playing basketball 
are just trying to win a basketball game. Like there's no other story besides the drive to win a basketball game. And that's interesting, but like wrestling is actually making a narrative in an attempt to connect with you on a, on a different level, because I guess otherwise like fake fighting wouldn't really get the job done. (laughs) Um, So like you're watching other people react to the story. Like it would be like if the Sopranos took place in an arena and everyone was watching it like and reacting in real time as like Polly Walnuts like tried to kill Christopher or something like that um you know like it just doesn't exist in that sense outside of wrestling and it's 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 really really interesting because like every other stage like because wrestling is it literally takes place on a stage and there's a million people who've said talked about wrestling as like a theater in the round in a way way smarter than I ever could um but you know it is literally a stage play only unlike stage plays all of the seats are in a circular kind of thing instead of pointed straight at a stage where the attention is straight up on like you know the stage um that's something i've gotten interested in particularly like as a consequence of of the pandemic kind of like erasing fans from the stands for a while um is like oh okay (laughs) like it's really really evident that you know it's not just a platitude that like fans are what makes wrestling what it is like you really like you know imagine if like Brock Lesnar beat the Undertaker at WrestleMania 30 and there was no one in attendance Mm. you know like what what would the fucking point be (laughs) um you know you wouldn't get that shot of that dude freaking out about it um and like I was there I was at that Wrestlemania and like there's a difference between the silence that follows like a a totally shocking and unexpected event uh because like it really it felt (laughs) it felt like watching an arena full of people die (laughs) like it was so weird like it was so quiet um but then you take that quiet and put it next to the COVID-19 empty arena quiet uh and it's completely different like it's it's emotionless like the new kind of quiet that we have and so like I've I've become more and more interested in fan experience as like a consequence of that like now that they're are no fan experiences or there's a very limited number of fan experiences like i i look back at people like <laughs> hating john cena so much that they wanted the great Kali to win the wwe championship with like a a different kind of fondness than i than i previously did like it's like yeah that is the point of wrestling and like you know when when that's not there like it's it's hard to justify its existence um yeah <laughs> when you put it in like in in that perspective of like people wanting so badly for the great Kali to win the WWE championship like yeah it's it's such an interesting like it's just such an interesting like way to categorize that and and to look at it especially considering you know like you said like the the uh the empty arena shows that we have seen um during the pandemic they it almost feels like wrestling trying to reinvent itself in a lot of ways. Um, And, you know, it's been hit or miss, I would say, but 
but yeah there it's definitely a stark contrast um it has it has been hit or miss like it's i mean that that tends like you have to think about like cinematic wrestling as something like a, a way that it's trying to kind of like work through all of this but like everyone's kind of abandoned it because it doesn't work that well it turns out like it's not really an innovation like wcw did it plenty of times uh in 2000 like the year 2000 like the sting vampiro uh flamethrower match or like the junkyard hardcore invitational like god that junkyard match you know what it sucked and people didn't like it like it's fine as like something like aj styles versus undertaker i feel like is something that's going to be good you know a year from now or whatever like people will still like that and like john cena versus bray wyatt is something that people will still enjoy but like beyond that it's like y'all aren't really like you know you're not breaking new ground like when you think of like other mediums that are like that that evolve it's like technology changes um or like accessibility changes like you know the fact that people can afford to record in a studio or whatever uh when they're not uh the beatles uh like changed music like that 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 sort of thing and like wrestling hasn't really had that um like the biggest innovation in wrestling was hulkamania changing the way wwe produced its television uh well you know and like starcade inventing the wrestling pay-per-view like those are those are the two big ones and that was 83 and 84 yeah how do you change like you know wwe network didn't change anything like it's it's pay-per-view well it did change it changed plenty in the fact that it completely devalued pay-per-view so people complain when a show costs $50 when that's been how much wrestling shows cost, you know, from the beginning to the the launch of the WWE network. Yeah. Um, But like, there's, there's no innovation in the actual form of wrestling in mainstream wrestling in the United States. And like, you know, that's not something that's going to change just because you have to figure out how to make your product engaging with no fans in the stands um if anything it makes it harder (laughs) no i i you're not wrong you're not wrong at all like the closest i've seen it it still is like the cinematic trappings that that we've seen over the past year was like uncanny did a a, an all cinematic show um that was released on iwtv that you know i i was really i was really entertained by it and i really enjoyed it um but it wasn't the same kind of game changer in, in the way that, that we really speak about game changers um, yeah. in media. So, yeah. Well, you know, I, like the, like, interestingly, I think that the big television innovation is not, and it's not really an innovation either, but like AEW swung the hard camera around so that the entranceway is perpetually in view as opposed to a sea of empty chairs. Yeah. That's, the smartest production choice they could have made like and the fact that wwe hasn't done it i think is like mostly like they decided that the thunderdome was the thing they were going to do um but like it feels less like lonely i guess watching that show uh when it's not the empty chairs that are perpetually in view but like you know this 
thing like the the entryway essentially that like heralds people's introduction in the ring like it's it's i think it looks good um i think that they'll go back to the way things were when fans are back in the arena but like you know that's like the most conscious acknowledgement of the situation outside of saying hey things are bad bear with us or you know shooting in an empty arena in the first place or doing cinematic matches but like just that shift like from like you know it's what like a 90 degree shift of the camera essentially (laughs) Um, it completely changes the way that you look at that product and like but that's it like that's that's what you got (laughs) um (laughs) it helps but it's not it doesn't solve the problem um wrestling like wrestling is essentially powerless to solve the problem the same as as many other entertainment medias are music has been powerless to solve the problem so far as live concerts are concerned uh movies are powerless to solve the problem so far as attending films and theaters is concerned uh it's just you know those things are more out of sight out of mind because you know you're either going or not going to the movie anyhow but like wrestling's on tv every single week regardless of the situation so like you're confronted with it i think in a way that's much harder to avoid Mm. no definitely i mean yeah yeah um it's been interesting to see like speaking to other other mediums though just like the the little steps that we've seen taken um just not to like go off on, on on a tangent but just like real quick like i don't know having concerts in Fortnite. Um, <laughs> that's the first I've heard of this. Um, oh, really? I like you know. I it's funny that I work for a video game website and know nothing about the coming and goings of video games. But uh, you know what? Like, that might be a blessing, honestly. Yeah. At times, <laughs> are they are they doing like uh, yeah? Like I'm playing the Outer Worlds and I killed two people and was like, yeah, I know what that feels like now, <laughs> and, and I haven't picked it back up. <laughs> Uh, like that's where I'm at with video games in uh, in in 2021. But uh, like, so are they doing like you know? I I assume that Fortnite being a thing for like, you know, 14 year olds or whatever is like a big on like like electronic music. Is it like Skrillex and stuff doing concerts? It's not Skrillex per se. But they have had some EDM stuff there, but it's also like Travis Scott uh, did a concert in Fortnite. Lil Nas X did a concert in Roblox. Okay, that wait. Okay, that yeah. makes. Yeah, little Nas X would be that kind of person. Yeah, so like it makes sense in some ways, but it's also just like interesting that that's the pivot. That since you can't have live events right now, like that the pivot is to get like big name, mostly big name hip hop acts, and put them into these like giant video game ecosystems. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. Yeah, no, it's been it's been interesting to to watch this whole the whole thing play out and to see the the steps that are being taken um and just to speak real quick on video games before we move on to the next thing um you want to talk about somebody writing and producing something about queer about queer people that is solely for consumption of trait of, of, for a straight uh white white cis male people go play <laughs> last of us part two <laughs> all right i think i probably won't don't um, don't don't worry <laughs> yeah i yeah i've heard i've heard things about that game it's like is it better or worse than last of us part one like oh it's worse oh man i think it's the last worse. time that i played a game that was like pretty much like clumsy clumsy straight man stuff was uh 
Heavy Rain. Do you remember that game? Oh God, yeah. Where like you had to like literally like instruct your character to like pee in a toilet and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> David Cage. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop because I'm just gonna go for like 20 minutes on David Cage's like weird auteur theory and malpractice <laughs> at his studio. I'm gonna stop. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, Heavy Rain. Weird. Weird. Yeah, that game. That game was like, all right, here's we're gonna make a movie, but it's gonna be a video game. And it's like, oh, all this reveals is that people who make video games frequently have no idea what a movie feels like. <laughs> you know what? Oh, okay, one more thing about David Cage, real quick, because like that, what you just said is exactly who David Cage is. Yeah. Like literally, Detroit Become Human came out a couple a few years ago, and like I remember at like whatever they were presenting the game to press he brought up like have you ever seen blade runner like this is this is like blade runner like who the fuck do you think you're talking to <laughs> yeah nah like blade runner for one has like a runtime of i don't know somewhere between 90 and like 120 minutes depending on which cut you're watching uh <laughs> it also has a very clear sense of itself it's yes. very helpful uh when it comes to uh to telling a narrative that's like cyber beyond anything i'm gonna do with cyberpunk it's like yeah the nice thing about keanu reeves action movies is that they end and <laughs> that they they don't you know they explore a world but it's not an open one <laughs> like you know john wick isn't suddenly like yeah i could use some starbucks like you know or whatever it's it's a movie so it it starts it rises, it climaxes, it hits the denouement, and it ends, and it's perfect. Uh, <laughs> like, yeah, like video games. Uh, again, not to generalize, but like a lot of the a lot of the super hyped up video games, even the ones that I like. Like, I love Dragon Age. Dragon Age is sloppy as hell. Um, <laughs> like, to say the very least. Like, it's like y'all probably could have done with 120 fewer missions. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know. God, I, I could talk about I could talk about this forever, but we're I could talk about it for fifteen more minutes. Yes, <laughs> That's how video games I have. <laughs> it's all it's all right. It's okay. We're we're gonna talk more about wrestling now. Yes, I, I could talk to... about wrestling forever. Awesome. All right, lads, ladies, and babies, thank you so much for tuning in to LGBT in the Ring. Um, we'll get right back into the thick of things, but I do want to take a pause real quick and say thank you to some amazing people that make this show as rad as it is. Starting off with Daniel Quasar, the Progress Pride flag designed by Daniel Quasar is a product of Progress Initiative. You can find out more at Quasar.digital. A big thank you to Sarah in the Safe Word for the show's theme song, Formula 666, off the album Red Hot and Holy. You can find them on Twitter at STSW Band, and you can check out their music on both Spotify and Bandcamp at sarahinthesafeword.bandcamp.com. Um, check out independentwrestling.tv for the best in current and classic independent pro wrestling, including live events from top independent promotions worldwide. Uh, you can use our promo code LGBTRingPod or visit tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT and get a five-day free trial and peruse their entire library uh, over there at independentwrestling.tv. Once again, promo code LGBTRingPod or go to tinyurl.com slash IWTVLGBT and get five days free check out that service uh, you can follow the show on twitter at lgbt ring pod you can follow me on twitter at wonderboy otm 
And if you're into video games, definitely check out my video game news show, the Mr. Video Game Super Show. I co-host that with uh, Twitch streamers Slacker Kite and Lady Merwin every Monday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific over on twitch.tv slash deadsunentertainment. Uh, it's your weekly roundup of gaming news, uh, and it's always a blast. So once again, check that out every Monday, 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific over at twitch.tv slash deadsunentertainment. Sun like the star. We'll be right back with more LGBT in the ring. So you get into like the like publishing like film criticism. At what point do you start to kind of revisit wrestling as something that deserves uh, both like your your work as a critic, but also like your work as as a as a poet? Pretty early on uh like poetry was not first but like when i was doing like blogging um you know i was like all right i'm gonna do as much like as many different kinds of blogs as possible and like try to be in as many different communities as possible so like i was in a community of film critics who did stuff via blogging uh and then i started a blog where i like because like youtube was really taking off and was at the time like a great repository for illegally uploaded matches so i just started watching matches and like writing like capsule reviews about them online uh and that was like that was really it um i think more important than that was um like role-playing like wrestling role-playing stuff like mm. you know not to not to out myself as someone who did that but um you know i like really from middle school until uh my mfa when like i started doing like poetry more than anything else uh like i did original character role-playing uh which again was like kind of an escape from stuff because like my character wound up being like trans after like five years of writing her um like transitioned and had all this other stuff happen and like was like weirdly close to like my own like well not weirdly intentionally close to like a lot of my own like you know fantasies that like I couldn't really admit to myself at the time um but like you know I was writing about wrestling like the whole time uh so like that's really been like kind of you know the writer that I was then uh, and the writer that I am now are like two entirely different people for a lot of different reasons. But, um, you know, like the thing about doing like role-playing, like competitive role-playing is like, you're trying to figure out a storyline like with the other person that you're doing stuff with. So like, I was again, like constantly thinking about like the narrative underpinnings of wrestling uh, when I got back into wrestling for real, I joined like wrestling message boards and like one of the dudes on the small, mostly British board that I was on uh, actually is in NXT UK now. So like that's kind of the level of board that it was, was that it was like people who were thinking very, very deeply about it. And then like, we're like, I'm going to go train with Lance Storm and like travel to Canada from like Leeds or wherever to do this. And then like, you know, did so and is you know, pulling a WWE paycheck right now. So like, it's, it's kind of like one of those things where um, being involved in different communities, like wrestling blogging was uh, a, I think much bigger thing back then, like, you know, blogs in general were. Um, so like, there was like, I think uh, Kaysor or Paul was like one that I read. Um, I dropped in occasionally on uh 
like Thomas Holzerman's blog, but like I think there were like other writers on it at the time that I was I was really interested in. Um, you know, and I I looked at that stuff and I kind of tried to figure out what I wanted to do, which, you know, at the time was a lot more singular. Like again, I was I was really focused on wrestling matches and I wanted to watch like the weird wrestling matches. Um and like this being like a, a good era for YouTube uploaders, like to say nothing of like mega upload and all the other uh, means by which people watched wrestling, you know, like I like fell in love with Joshi, uh, like particularly Minami Toyota and Akira Hokuto. Uh, and then like a couple years later, like I forget when the Straight Edge Society thing happened, um, but like 2010, yeah, about then, like by the time 2010 happened, like Serena Deeb was part of the Straight Edge Society and like, you know, women's wrestling in WWE was was rough business, but like the minute that I saw her hit like a gut buster, like Dean Malenko or whatever, like I fell in love and was extremely upset when she got fired uh, until uh, she started wrestling in Japan and she mostly wrestled in Tajiri's promotion, which at the time was either Smash or Wrestling New Classic and her primary rival, or at least someone that I saw her wrestle several times was like Kano. Uh, who is now Asuka in WWE. Uh, so like, you know, for 10 years now, like uh, Asuka has been one of my favorite wrestlers. And it was like, just this kind of thing where like, because I watched like, you know, Taka Michinoku wrestle Grandmaster Sexay, like from a 97 episode of Raw that I wouldn't have seen because I was watching WCW. Like I would watch Taka Michinoku uh, matches and see him wrestle all these other like heavyweights from New Japan. And it was just like this kind of spider web thing where like you start in the center with someone that you like or appreciate or whatever. So if you go into YouTube in like 2006 and type Hulk Hogan versus like some weird Tokyo Dome match where he's wrestling Stan Hansen in like 1993 pops up and suddenly you're like, holy shit, Stan Hansen is like this like amazing terrifying giant cowboy man i gotta watch more stan hansen oh stan hansen wrestled the miracle violence connection in a tag team match and now you know who dr death steve williams and terry gordy are and you start piecing together kind of like this this history of wrestling that is different than the one you had um and like more than even the great kali uh who i do legitimately love uh i like you know <laughs> i i could sing the phrases of the great collie all day long uh because that man squashed a watermelon with his hands once to demonstrate how his <laughs> vice grip was going to destroy uh another super favorite of mine dave the animal batista <laughs> uh <laughs> and i i will never forget that he also squashed a uh cantaloupe representing Rey Mysterio said and that one was in a Ray Ray mask and I I love it it's so good um, but like I just I started getting into stuff that you know people my age and people of like my interest group should not have really been into uh so like I started watching like NWA stuff from before I was born and like you know that meant like Dusty Rhodes, uh, that meant, you know, Ric Flair in his like absolute prime, that meant like, you know, even Ole Anderson, like uh, I could, I could tell you like one of my favorite tag teams from that era uh, is like a early eighties, like one year pairing that I don't even know if they won the Georgia heavyweight tag team titles, but like Stan Hansen and Ole Anderson were a fantastic tag team. And like people don't think of them as a tag team because 
it exists in footage that most people don't go back and watch. And like, that's kind of what I got interested in, but no one was reading my wrestling blog. So I stopped. Um, then, you know, I got into an MFA program, uh, like a Bowling Green State University. And uh, I started writing poems about wrestlers. Uh, and I don't really know why um, outside of like my uh, MFA advisor was like, you know, it seems like you're kind of struggling to write you know, poetry just based on like whatever you think poetry is because like the the honest truth is that I should not have been in that program. Like I started writing poetry a year before I got into that program. Mm. Uh, I was too young for it. Uh, you know, I was too inexperienced. And when I came in, like I was immediately like getting slammed by like everyone. And I like, cause I was like trying to write like whatever my expectation of poetry was and not, you know, listen to myself. And when I listened to myself, like I found pop culture and I found uh you know wrestling which is part of pop culture so I started writing wrestling poems and uh you know those weren't particularly well received uh by my classmates they did not really understand them and after a while like when I had turned in like my sixth one in a row they were just like yep this is a poem that you wrote and it sounds a lot like you and it's definitely about a thing that you would do so hope you enjoyed writing it um (laughs) awesome feedback yeah I mean it was uh like and some of that is just like kind of like your normal biases against wrestling and you know I don't really hold it against anybody and I think at this point a lot of them would like like think differently about it because I did publish an entire book uh a lot of which were poems from that time period and you know I've written several more since then uh that may or may not eventually become a chat book uh (laughs) I am I am unsure um but like you know other people started getting into it like they started getting into those poems uh I started writing poems about like Pokemon as well like big like prose poems about like Pokemon individual Pokemon uh and like I wouldn't say that my poetry career took off because uh what's a poetry career I I do not know (laughs) um but like again like I was looking at wrestling in in a different way like it was you know taking this thing that I was extremely familiar with and like kind of transfiguring it into you know I won't say like art like I I think like back then like the impulse like if someone would have asked me about it would have been like so you're taking like low art and turning it into high art and it's like no I'm just making something different with the art that I already love like you know people like one of my best friends uh rewrites fairy tales like you know she does a lot of other things with her fiction but I think that a lot of people know her as somebody who writes fairy tales um she's excellent at it but it's like you know she's taking one thing and turning it into something else by paying close attention to like form and plot and all this other stuff and like that's what I was doing uh with my poems uh I got into Uh, And actually, like, the funny thing is that, like, during that time, uh, I was an announcer, uh, like a play-by-play announcer and uh, producer for uh, Absolute Intense Wrestling in Cleveland. Um, And, like, I started getting kind of curious about, like, maybe going to wrestling school. Um, And after my MFA, no jobs were immediately available. So I was moving back home to Detroit, which uh, is where um truth martini's wrestling school the house of truth is or was i'm not too sure at the moment 
Um, but I won a prize uh, for my wrestling poems. Uh, like I was chosen as uh, the recipient of a $2,000 award. Uh, tuition for Truth Martini's wrestling school was $2,000. I got the check, put it in my account, wrote another check, sent it to Truth Martini, uh, and had like three months to start training. I did so seriously. Like I went to Brazilian jiu-jitsu and like was like working on my conditioning and like, you know, was like running around the park with my dog and like, you know, push-ups and all this other stuff, like really getting into like better shape than I had been in my entire life. And I showed up to day one of wrestling class uh, and uh, tried, like, you know, did pretty well for two hours, but like, you know, the whole point of like the first week or so of wrestling school is uh, essentially to con you out of your $2,000 by like trying to blow you up enough that you don't want to go anymore. Um, but I didn't even get to the point where I didn't want to go anymore because I, you know, tried to do a front bump, I think like a, a flip forward, uh, and hit my forehead on the mat and got a concussion, uh, day one. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, I, I couldn't go back. Um, cause like, you know, uh, I, I finished out the day, like, you know, after I, did a bunch more like front bumps and like rope runs and all this other stuff with like a concussion and like, you know, threw up, tried to drive home because I, I didn't know what a concussion was. Uh, well, I've now had several, so I, I know now, um, like couldn't drive more than like three blocks, had to get my sister to pick me up like in the middle of Detroit at like 11 PM. And uh, like three weeks later, I wrote an essay uh, about, that one day and like my reasons for doing it and like kind of what I like learned in failure uh called the strange tutelage of truth martini uh I <laughs> got a really big head about it uh and like put together an application uh for the PhD program in creative writing at the University of Georgia uh as a nonfiction student uh my my reason being that I knew that fewer people applied to nonfiction than any other branch of literature and I got in uh so like you know from that point on I I kept writing like full length essays about wrestling um like another one that I did kind of early on uh was called uh Mankind's Tooth which I still like post links to pretty frequently because I think that it's like a good like statement of intent on my part where like you know I I, I talk about this every now and again in, in on fan fight but like uh particularly in uh in my piece about uh Brody Lee but like the idea of seeing a person as a character and a person at the same time uh and recognizing that like the the risks that people undergo uh because like what I was writing about was the Hell in a Cell match where uh Mick Foley's tooth gets shoved through his nasal cavity and comes out his nose. And uh, specifically about the shot in that match where the camera comes around uh, the ring post and catches Mick's face. Uh, and he's got the tooth sticking out of his nose, but also he's trying to stick his tongue through a hole in his lip, um, <laughs> which is like disgusting, but it's like, it's an iconic shot. And like, it's at that point in the match, I feel like more so than almost anything else, because when you're watching it live, like you don't realize how close like Mick Foley came to dying when he got chokeslammed through the cage. Like if the chair that came down with him would have hit him in the face, he would have been dead. There's no way, like there's no two ways about it. He would have been dead. 
Um, but if you're watching that match live without that knowledge, the point at which the switch flips from, oh shit, like, you know, he's doing some crazy stuff, but like, this might still be part of the plan to, oh man, they're like way off the fucking page here is when you see a man's tooth dangling from his nose. Um, and I never really stopped and haven't really stopped writing about wrestling since then. Like I've had some fits and starts um like you know i focused more on like revising the old poems and uh writing new ones to get a book out um but like you know there was there was a moment where um like journalistically speaking like i was writing every now and again for um paste magazine uh like i was initially freelancing for them uh and you know i was writing stuff in response to like news articles and stuff like that like i think i wrote something about how like people shouldn't pay attention to jim Cornette when he talks shit about the young books uh and i wrote like a couple other things at the time uh like you know i weirdly enough uh i i wrote an article uh for them about how kenny omega's success outside of wwe uh, indicated that there was a future for wrestlers outside of WWE. Uh, and, you know, I really nailed that one. Uh, like I killed it. Uh, yeah. Like I, I, like I would, I would say that I hit that one on the head. Um, and, uh, the assistant editor at the time, Paul Benedetto, uh, I think was like stepping away for a different gig, like within journalism. Uh, so Garrett hired me or like pushed to hire me. Uh, I went through all the training, I uh, got one essay up and then paste like unilaterally cut like four sections and the wrestling section was one of them. Uh, so I was on the job for like two days, <laughs> um, <laughs> which sucked. Uh, it sucked. Like I, like Garrett felt really bad about it. Um, like, you know, Paul felt really bad about it and neither of them had anything to do with it and like I think it was one of those things where like when I got hired um initially like you know people were excited about it because like I I had I didn't have very many clips but like what I did have was like these essays about wrestling that looked at it like differently and a lot of that was um you know, not, not just like my own thinking about it, but like, I was really influenced as well by, um, like some like wrestling zines, uh, you know, like, I don't know if you've ever had a chance to check them out, but, um, like, you know, two publications that like really influenced, uh, and still do influence like my outlook on, on wrestling were, um, pro wrestling feelings by Ed Blair, uh, out of Chicago, um, and the atomic elbow, um, by Robert Newsom out of Athens, Georgia. And I, I've been published in the Atomic Elbow uh, and have been interviewed in Pro Wrestling Feelings. And I'm, and I'm very proud of, of both of those two things. Um, Ed is, uh, of uh, Pro Wrestling Feelings, is like one of the most considerate like writers uh, when it comes to like wrestling, I feel like. And uh, they interviewed me about my book. And like we had, like, uh, I have been around like you know indie literature for a while and have been interviewed you know multiple times and uh never felt more seen uh like as a poet or like as a person who's interested in a subculture as I did when like Ed interviewed me um and like Robert uh I think is like a genius who <laughs> like uh <laughs> like really like if 
he should have been hired to edit a wrestling section at a website like a million years ago if he wanted it like i don't know if he if he would but um if you haven't read the atomic elbow you you should like he publishes you know writers from literally around the world like uh england russia you know etc cetera, etc cetera. and like one of the great pleasures of my life in athens has been getting to know him uh as well as a couple of other people, uh, you know, I, I don't know whether to use their shoot or, or work names. So, uh, you know, Andy Ripley and, and Irving West, uh, who are two wrestlers out of Athens have been, uh, you know, awesome people to bounce ideas back and forth, uh, against. And, uh, you know, like the paste thing was unfortunate, but like, I wasn't really like deterred, uh, by that. Like, uh, I, I kept blogging for a while. Like I was still a movie critic, uh, like in my heart until, you know, really like four or five years ago. Uh, but like I kept my blog up, uh, and then I accidentally destroyed it trying to make an author website like last year, but I think I can fix it. <laughs> um, but I wrote a couple of essays on my own, uh, like for the purpose of publishing on a blog, um, one of which was in response to the first women's Royal Rumble and uh, the way that the WWE women's revolution had been framed as like some miraculous corporate intervention on behalf of women everywhere. Uh, and in that essay, I wrote specifically about how, you know, doing this frames the problems of the past as the failings of wrestlers who were not given a chance to do anything about it like you know i trish stratus and lita obviously very very talented um aj lee and uh page get a lot of credit uh that is deserved i think that both of them are very talented but like you know i remember being you know it sounds very dramatic but like as as somebody who was primarily interested in women's wrestling at the time that was my job at aiw was like i uh, in a sense, in being hired uh, as a play-by-play announcer and in, like, kind of putting together, uh, like, a system by which, like, we could determine how to book women's shows without, you know, overthinking it, like, I, I kind of, like, helped legitimize uh, that um, division and, like, you know, we were the place where Allison Kay and Mia Yim had, like, a massively successful feud, um, I called like Veda Scott's third match, Sarah Logan's third match, Heidi Lovelace's like second match, like, and like saw these people like come up. Um, and so like, I, you know, saw a lot of them get signed and like saw a lot of them, you know, have success and like started seeing WWE take an interest in women's wrestling due to the hype in NXT around the four horsewomen. Uh, so when it was time to have the historic first ever women's Royal Rumble, I was like, you know what, historic first ever whatever's for women kind of fucking suck. Um, because like, you know, the Bella Twins were great. Like, you know, I, I love the Bella Twins. I have always loved the Bella Twins. I do not know whether or not, you know, people thinking like, you know, Ichiban, Nikki Bella, I don't know if that's sarcastic or not, but she's fucking astonishing. Um, like, I love her. Uh, and like, I, I wrote an article about, you know, the, the mistreatment of, you know, decades of women who'd gone through WWE and 20,000 people read it on a nothing website. And like, this was like, I didn't have half the audience that I do now. Um, I don't like, you know, my blog was not SEO optimized and 
you know, I wasn't particularly good at like advertising or doing anything, which I'm still not like, you know, I've had dozens of wrestling projects come and go like uh, tumblers that were extremely popular that I never capitalized on uh, t-shirts that have done extremely well that I, you know, never really made like, you know, a market for myself based on like, uh, and you know, whatever else I've done. Um, but like that article took off to like an extreme degree. And I think was like the moment where like Twitter wrestling fans started to notice that like, I had something interesting to say um, about wrestling. And, you know, that was a few years ago and like a few years passed in between that. Um, and like, I can kind of theorize as to like how I got to the place that I got to, which is like, you know, I started calling into the best show with Tom Sharpling and initially I was calling in a lot about wrestling. Uh, so like a lot of fans from there, uh, like, you know, followed me and started like talking to me about wrestling and stuff like that. Um, but I think that the thing that got me in the position that I'm at now, uh, because I, you know, was very mouthy about, you know, compensation and stuff like that. Uh, so far as like, you know, wrestling coverage is concerned. And I, I feel like I rubbed a lot of people the wrong way. And I don't know that I would, you know, <laughs> necessarily approach things the way that I did several years ago. Um, but like, you know, I thought that my, my quote unquote, like, uh, career or path in wrestling journalism, which I don't consider myself a journalist. I like, I am definitely more of a critic. Um, like my path I thought was like dead. People didn't believe in the kind of wrestling writing that I wanted to do outside of, you know, people like Ed and Robert. Um, and like, there wasn't really a road forward for me, but then I got booked to do WrestleSplania, um, which at the time was produced by uh, LB Hunktears, who's the editor of the section at Fanbyte. Um, and when they launched that site, uh, like that section for the site, like I think I was one of the first people who was hired. Um, mm. And, you know, I uh, was initially like kind of doing like half news half like recaps like I, I did like a you know an article about like Chris Jericho and Cody Rhodes's title match being like scored by a round of judges and stuff like that and like no one I I, I don't know if anyone really cared about that kind of thing because it was like the sort of thing that you could get like by going to like wrestlingnews.co.biz slash pizza or whatever um but my fifth article for them and like now I'm talking about like 2019 as if it's ancient history uh but yeah like my fifth article and I, I know it's my fifth because like obviously it's like very important to me uh was uh a review of Scott Steiner Shoney's oh yes uh it's a masterpiece by the way I don't know if I, I think I ever told you that <laughs> no uh but thank you like but, you know, from that point on, like, it's like, you know, that really took off. Like, people love that piece. People still read that piece. Um, you know, I'm waiting for Scott Steiner to open his new sports bar after the pandemic so that I can go to it. And, like, really, like, I've been planning before the pandemic, uh, I was planning on going home to Detroit to, like, visit my family. Uh, and, like, along with that, like, there was an AIW show happening. And I think it was, like, it was, like, an anniversary show or something like that. And, like, 
I was I was going to go to that, but like in Cincinnati, like you know, there's Johnny Gargano's family's pizza place, so I was going to go to that. But I was also going to try to figure out which two uh, locations of Mister Sub were owned by the Mrs. Dad. <laughs> <laughs> so like I still like I still want to do that, and like I, I I was like you know I might be like the wrestling food person, but like that's not that's not what wound up happening at all. Even though like I've reviewed Toriano's curry and like. You know, today uh, Toroyanu's uh, memoir slash cookbook arrived on my doorstep, and oh. like just running the recipes through Google Translate, it looks like I'll be able to make the food from it. Um, so, like, I'm I'm looking forward to doing that. But like, you know, I I was pretty much like allowed like you know space to write whatever I want about wrestling, so long as it's like you know <laughs> explicable, I guess, like something like. You know, if I like, I, I pitch to LB like stuff uh, that doesn't look at all uh, like you know, just things that I've been straight up told would not work on a on a wrestling website, and like I get to do it, like uh, which has been, I think, like the best thing for my life uh, as a as a creator, like as a writer, um, like since uh, my MFA program, honestly, uh, like. Cause like that gave me space and time to write. Um, I feel like my, my PhD uh, program like gave me, uh, you know, tried to give me the same thing, but you know, I, I had a lot of stuff happen. Uh, like, you know, I transitioned uh, in 2016 and like, you know, uh, landlords aren't necessarily the coolest about having queer people live in their apartments uh so like you know I had to deal with like eviction and bouncing around and like losing my dog and losing my cat and regaining my dog and losing my dog again and then bringing my dog back and like all this other stuff so like I was really stunted um by a lot of like circumstance uh like early on in my life in Georgia um but you know I I wrote 92 articles last year uh <laughs> And some of them were sad. Some of them were about Star Trek, uh, but a lot of them were just like, "All right, like let's see, like let's see what works here. Like let's talk about, you know, like, uh, like, just in general. Like I, I think that some of my better stuff is like, not necessarily like let's look at how civil rights movements are portrayed in wrestling. Though, like I'm very proud of that article too." Um, but like, let's look at like the circumstances that Dusty Rhodes was actually talking about in the Hard Times promo. Like, let's look at, you know, the history of the dog collar match and what it means that it's being brought back, even though it's only been run like, you know, fewer than 10 times in like the history of American wrestling. Uh, you know, like, uh, even like this, like last week, um, you know, like I am uh kind of obsessed with wrestling magazines right now uh which was like an old obsession when i was a kid and then was like something i got into until i had to sell them uh <laughs> like during like a period of of transience where like i needed food or something that week um but like now i have a lot of wrestling magazines and like japanese wrestling programs and you know lucha libre magazines and all this other stuff like that and it's like in i i decided to write about it because like they're when people think about the way that wrestling gets written about, like they, they think about like Dave Meltzer um, or they think about like, you know, the, the way that people write like recaps of shows, which, you know, is, is great. Like, I think that Fanbyte 
uh, has like a, an astonishingly talented crew of people writing about wrestling right now, like Murr and Emily and, uh, you know, Douglas and, and LB when they get a chance to do it. Like, I, I think that they're among like the best in the game at that sort of thing. Um, but like, you know, I, if that were all I were doing, like, I don't, I don't think that I would be doing it. Like I, I want to be able to write, you know, 2000 words about like, like anything, like really like, um, and I, I think that a lot of that is based in like my sort of heritage, uh, which is the word that I used to describe it in that article actually. Um, but like my, I guess my lineage so far as like writing about wrestling is concerned has less to do with like, you know, writing specifically like, here's what happened on, on Raw and Nitro uh and more to do with like all right in 1983 wildfire tommy rich and like buzz sawyer wrestled in a cage match that only 15,000 people saw so here's like 12 photographs and here's 2,000 words and this match is going to live forever based on those like those words like i'm fascinated by that uh and like i i hope like you know i i think i'm a better writer <laughs> uh than the people who got published in, in wrestling magazines in the 1980s. But like, I, I think that like my goal uh, as a writer right now is to try to make the stuff that I love about this uh, as transcendent as those publications did in one way or another. Um, and like the fact that I actually have a space to do it and the fact that people actually seem to care uh, is mystifying to me. Like, I, I can't believe it. Like, you know, uh, one of the, like, one of the things that I wrote, like, not thinking that anyone would, would really care was like just a, a thing about like Macho Man Randy Savage photos where he's like in casual clothes and doing whatever. And it's like, oh, like people actually are interested in this kind of thing. Cause it's like a weird corner of wrestling that doesn't get much focus outside of like the slideshow on wwe.com or whatever um and like i i really hope like you know i i have seen this uh become a thing more and more often like when kath barbadero gets to write for fanbite like uh her dave Meltzer thing was like you know something completely different about about wrestling uh and like i think that that's been something that like uh, fan fight in particular has been able to encourage, but like, I, I really hope that like, uh, between, you know, the, the zine culture that like made this something that was palpable to me and like the work that I'm doing and the work that others are doing, like, I, I'm hoping that like, this is kind of like the start of like a new way of covering wrestling that's like more interesting and more evocative and ultimately like not more valuable. Cause like, I think that news coverage has its place. And I think that like results, like, you know, the results on Fanbyte are great. Like the results on like cbssports.com or whatever are not so great, but like, there's a place for that too. Um, like just the kind of like down and dirty, like, you know, uh, Bailey deaf period, Sasha Banks or whatever, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, but like, I, I think that the way that people think about and write about and read about wrestling, uh, are changing. Uh, and I hope that, you know, I, I can encourage that, 
um, like both like through my own like writing, but also like, you know, uh, <laughs> like talking about the stuff that like has influenced me, like, like Ed and Robert's work and, you know, getting other people into this sort of thing. Like that's, that's what I'm really hoping for as like, you know, uh, a professional in this field. <laughs> No, and it definitely feels like those spaces are being carved out more and more. Like you're saying, like, you know, I I interned at Paste and like one of my big pieces like during my time there was like something I wrote about the Golden Lovers and like having that I really feel like whenever the the Paste wrestling section went away and even whenever like Deadspin um went the way that it did. Um yeah. like those are really two of the big places outside of like the zine culture that were giving space for these sort of more overarching and more exploratory pieces uh, about pro wrestling to kind of have a, a spot on the stage really. And, you know, I am not the most versed in the zine culture. You know, I had um, uh, Kate Foray, the from uh, uh, Girl Wrestling Fan Will You Marry Me on the show earlier in the month. And, you know, she's much more versed in that than I am. And she pointed to, to you and to Atomic Elbow and to Ed Blair as well. And it's seeing this, these spaces become more cultivated has, I think, personally led me to wanting to explore those areas more. But it really feels like what was happening in the zine culture, you know, a few years back, and still is, is starting to seep more into mainstream however you want to define mainstream pro wrestling coverage in, in the way that it has, you know, it's, it's, it's much more interesting to look at these topics from, from a, from a unique point of view, whenever you're not beholden to being the news person or being like the insider or like scoops person in, in these things, then there's the, especially with those fields dominating wrestling journalism and wrestling critique, for as long as they have um no it's 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 amazing to see and and i think right now you know fanbyte is one of the, probably the best place in my mind that's doing that regularly at the moment like daily ddt is doing some really good stuff as well but still they they have so, so much of their stuff is still very news focused which you know has its place um, yeah it's the nature of the beast exactly like, that's that is how wrestling coverage on the internet has been forever like once you start digging into like i feel like the kind of stuff that i do was the venue for like diy fan sites like you know the blogger era of like wrestling writing was like also kind of that way too where it was like not just like here's blah 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 but like here's like a theory based on something that i saw um yeah and like i i I, again, like all credit in the world to, um, in all of that, I forgot that I also had a wrestling zine, which I still have copies of hanging around. Uh, <laughs> but like, that was like also a different thing where it was like, I, you know, as a poet, um, like I started realizing when I was writing about wrestlers that like my sense of cadence when I was doing readings uh, came from wrestling promos. Cause you know, going, going back to when I was four, and watching Macho Man Randy Savage, like, you know, or hard times when I was a teenager or whatever, like all of those 
things have a specific purpose, uh, which is to sell you on getting in the door, obviously, but they have a clear subject. They have, if they're good, like a, a clear sense of purpose. Like it's, you know, it's Ric Flair's World's Heavyweight Championship is what I am trying to get. Here's why. And then somewhere in between that, like the words that these people are speaking improvisationally, like become poetry. So I just decided to do that. Um, <laughs> like, you know, just take promos and make them into poems. And like, it was just a matter of like, you know, not to make it sound easy, but like I would watch a promo, I would transcribe it because I was a transcriptionist at the time uh, and needed to not transcribe financial notes from like financial advisors. Uh, and then I would try to figure out like largely using like, cause uh, you've, you've probably seen these videos, right? But like, there's like all those videos where like everything except for the breaths that wrestlers take are cut out of the promo. <laughs> yeah. um, so like, you know, using like their breath as a guide, trying to figure out where like the line would break if it was a poem um, and then kind of discarding that because like, it turns out that they just breathe super heavy, like wherever. So like the lines weren't looking super good, but um, like what I wound up doing, I feel like in, in, in making, um, you know, you have to deal with me breathing as the title of it, um, of all four issues uh, was like, you know, again, like a different way of looking at wrestling where what you're looking at is desire. Um, you know, it's obvious to say, like, you know, Dusty Rhodes desires Ric Flair's World Heavyweight Championship, but if you put it in someone else's voice, mine, uh, and if you make it look like something else, a poem as opposed to a filmed wrestling promo, it looks like just desire, like, you know, Dusty Rhodes's desire for Ric Flair, period. Uh, Ultimate Warrior's desire for Hulk Hogan, period, which I think is hilarious because, you know, <laughs> Ultimate Warrior being a super homophobe. Uh, <laughs> like, there's also, I also wrote a poem about Ultimate Warrior, like one of the gayer ones in, in my first collection, uh, like, was about Ultimate Warrior uh, as well. So, you know, I, I love, I love, uh, for, for someone who said that queering don't make the world work, I've certainly made queering him work pretty well for myself. Um, but like, you know, that, that was like, kind of like my, my foray into zines and the article that I published in the Atomic Elbow, uh, was about gay wrestling characters. Um, so like, you know, there, there was not a space for that. Uh, like, you know, if, if I were writing that article today, it would just be a regular Sunday piece for Fanbyte. But, mm -hmm. um, like, because Fanbyte did not exist, I mean, the website may have existed. Um, but like, you know, LB's section did not exist uh and like there there wasn't a place that was going to like pay for it and I did not want to just put it on my blog um you know uh I I told Robert that I was going to write the thing and I like it found a really receptive audience like I I still think that's one of my favorite things that I've written about wrestling just because it's like it's something that's very important to me um, I wish that I still had the, again, I was drawing from wrestling magazines, weirdly, like, uh, a lot of the stuff that I was drawing from was, uh, like, exotic Adrian Street and uh, adorable Adrian Adonis, where, like, there were, like, just articles with, like, full spreads, uh, like, 
for for such a homophobic enterprise like they really loved pictures of gay wrestling characters uh <laughs> but there was one where it was like adrian adonis man or woman and i was like hell yeah this is amazing uh <laughs> like i just bought one uh i bought a wrestling magazine from a guy on facebook uh like the other day that like you know this is still relatively current but um you know 1974 wrestling magazine where it's like the secret world of pat patterson and on the cover, he's in what you can like, it's like kind of like half drag, but like also half like, you know, wrestling, like superstar Billy Graham style masculinity with like the feather boas and stuff like that. But it's like, okay, like Pat Patterson wasn't necessarily closeted until that episode of Legends House that was filmed two years before it aired came out. Like he was still living as himself like you know not out loud because of like the the purpose of whatever but like in wrestling i'm speaking without reading this article and looking at anything besides the cover but like in wrestling he may have found a way to express his queerness like in a way that was satisfying to him and i find that like you know awesome um but like i i would not have had a space to explore anything like that i feel like uh, were it not for like Robert's openness and like frankly patience because I told him I was going to write a thing and then it took me six months to do it <laughs> 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 uh, like I, I still think that I owe them an article uh, <laughs> about like uh, Ray Mysterio's knife collection or something like that uh, but like I'd, yeah I'd read it. yeah yeah like and you know it's it's one of those things like uh if it weren't for reading other people doing that, like, I, I think that I would have quit. Um, mm. Because like the, the other area that I am in, which is academia, like there are people who are interested in popular culture. Uh, like my, my thesis director, or not my director, but like, you know, one of the people who's involved in, in my thesis, uh, you know, he's a comic book scholar and, you know, like, on, we, we have an understanding of each other's like weird things, like, you know, academics who are interested in, in popular culture often have to fight for uh, like an acknowledgement that it is worth studying. Um, but that's actually really hard to fight for when you're a graduate student who is already undergoing like something like transitioning, which like, you know, the, the jump from like gay male to trans woman is uh, actually, <laughs> A, a lot bigger than you would envision uh like if you've actually done it uh like it, it, it is not uh the easiest smoothest ride um so like people's perceptions of me changed and like what I was doing changed and like it was it was hard to find purchase in that but I had another community that you know first of all like accepted me completely like I you know I knew Robert before I transitioned uh and like he totally got it immediately like no questions asked um you know just like total total support like i i uh you know i i love robert to death so uh but you, like it's just one of those things where um you know i found a weird wrestling community uh and that weird wrestling community was willing to accept me as a person and accept me as a writer and as someone who thinks about wrestling as well uh and yeah like I said if it wasn't for that I I wouldn't 
I wouldn't be writing about wrestling right now. Like I would have quit. Uh, and I, I probably wouldn't even be watching wrestling right now. Like it's, you know, which isn't to say that like my, my quote unquote fandom or whatever is uh, contingent upon getting paid to do it. But like, I wouldn't have had a reason to continue watching wrestling uh, if it wasn't for the fact that I had like people, like extremely supportive people who uh, like, you know, read me as a person and as, as a thinker as well. Uh, and I, I found that outside of the box that I had placed myself in and um, like, yeah, uh, I, I owe a lot to those people, uh, like as a, as a critic and as a person and, you know, as somebody who is tangentially uh, like in, in the scene so far as like alt coverage of, of wrestling is concerned, like zines and stuff like that. No, and and that that community is uh, starting to inform more and more of of what wrestling media uh, has to offer, and it's it's amazing to see. Colette, um, thank you so much for for coming on the show and and chatting about your your journey here. Um, let everybody know where they can uh, find you online and, and check out all of your awesome work. All right. Um, I am currently taking a break from Twitter, but if you want to follow me, uh, I am uh, at Colette Aaron, C-O-L-E-T-T-E-A-R-R-A-N-D. Um, I'm also on Instagram. Uh, my handle is Ghost Planet, uh, but the O in ghost is a zero. Uh, and I started a, a project on there where I am essentially taking pictures of the pictures in my wrestling magazine collection uh, and like, you know, just kind of putting them out there since like, they're pretty amazing. Uh, that's called, uh, that's at Aptermags, A-P-T-E-R-M-A-G-S. Um, and other than that, like if you, if you wanna check out any of the stuff that I mentioned, uh, you know, the Atomic Elbow is, is still a going concern. Uh, you should look that up if you have not. Um, Pro Wrestling Feelings, I'm not sure whether or not Ed has any copies, but um, like if you look them up on Twitter, uh, you should be able to find it. Um, and my zine, uh, which I still have copies of, of all four issues, uh, you have to deal with me breathing. Uh, I would be happy to send your way if you shoot me a message on, on Twitter or on Instagram. Oh, and you can read my writing at fanbyte.com. <laughs> I was wondering. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, I mean, we've we've said the word fanbite and fanfight so much in this, uh, so but yeah, fanbite.com/wrestling, uh, which will grant you access not just to me, but uh, like you know Emily Pratt's uh, coverage of of New Japan, uh, like Mare's coverage of uh, WWE, like the fact that she is able to cover all nine hours of WWE programming and like less than 2000 words and hit you with the stuff that matters is, is astonishing to me. Um, and yeah, like, you know, all of the, all of the guest writers and, and everyone else who, who contributes to that site, we're, uh, we're doing our best. And I think that our best is pretty damn good. I would agree with you on that. Definitely. Um, Colette, thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for having me. My thanks once again to Colette for coming on the show. Definitely go check out her work over on fanbite.com slash wrestling or fanfight.com for a shorter way of getting there. Um, also check out her, her poetry collections. They're always uh, rad. And check out 
all of the great wrestling zines that she mentioned as well there. Follow her at Colette Aaron on Twitter. Her stuff, it's it's always great. Um, yeah, I'm. that's going to bring Journalist January to a close here on the show. It's been great, and I hope that uh, we can do this again at some point. But uh, next week, we get back to talking to the wrestlers. I'm very excited to get back to talking to the wrestlers. Um, but we'll do that next week. But until then, y'all stay messy. Wash your hands. Wear your mask. Or I guess double mask. And go to sleep. Everybody's ready to die. Bye.